As we anticipate opening gifts, uh, kids, excited? <laughs> anybody going to open gifts tonight? Does anybody do that? Anybody? It's a few of you? Yeah, we used to do that. Okay, tomorrow morning. I know that's exciting, Christmas Eve. Before we do that, though, let's, we want to just consider for a moment here uh, this gift, God's gift to us. Paul says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It's a great description of Jesus. And it's indescribable in its meaning and in its magnitude. And it is a gift. It's all of grace. All of grace. Nothing we earn today. So I want to reflect on this gift of heaven, this meaning of Christmas, just briefly, mainly on one phrase from the book of Hebrews in chapter 2. And it's this phrase that's on the screen, speaking of Jesus, that he was made a little lower than the angels. He was made a little lower than the angels. What a curious description of Jesus. And yet, right there is the essence of Christmas. That's what we're celebrating as I was thinking about what, what to focus on in this kind of Christmas Eve devotional, my mind kept returning to Hebrews. My mind's steeped there. Because I, I just think chapter 2 of Hebrews, if you're not familiar with it, contains some of the clearest statements about the meaning of Christmas anywhere in the Bible. So it's a great chapter just to mull over and read again and meditate on. And so why should we depart from Hebrews? It's a book we are already steeped in and familiar with. So in case you're, you're visiting with us this morning, you're new or just visiting from out of town, as a church, our church on Sunday mornings, we have been teaching, these last months, we've been teaching through this book, the book of Hebrews, and considering it. And this author of this book wants us occupied with Jesus. That's what the book is about. The superiority of Jesus really to everything and to everyone. And he wants us occupied, holding fast to Jesus. He is the Son of God who is now exalted at God's right hand as our high priest, he says in this book. And our author really begins his letter, his sermon letter, there in chapter 1 with the superiority of Jesus. He's the final, complete revelation of God. It's in Christ, and he has brought this great, great salvation that we are celebrating this morning. But not only that, he is, in chapter 1, he is the eternal Son of God. He exists and has existed from all eternity. He is the very essence of God the Father, of the same essence. He's God. God made the whole world through him. And right now, he is sustaining the whole world. The Son is. And our author wants to say that this eternal Son, the author creation, is now the exalted Son as a Savior and High Priest at God's right hand. And in chapter 2, it's where we find this phrase. He tells us how this eternal Son came to be the exalted Savior 
and high priest at God's right hand, the means by which that happened, and the means by which he comes to be the exalted son as Savior is stunning. It's, it's unexpected. It's unbelievable. And in many ways, it's incomprehensible how he came to be the exalted son at God's right hand. And this is the heart of Christmas. So our phrase, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, I'm going to put the verse up there that this phrase is found in, speaking of Jesus. So I'll read it. You can look in your Bible or just on the screen right there. But we do see him who was made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. We see him who was made a little lower than angels. Why does he say that? Why does he use that description? Well, he is actually using the language of Psalm 8 from the Old Testament. Psalm 8 celebrates the creation of mankind when God made us in his image a little lower than angels. That is, in outward splendor, in power and ability, we're little lower than angels. And now he is saying to us, Psalm 8, that man of Psalm 8 is Jesus. He's the man of Psalm 8. So Jesus, the Son, the eternal Son, is made a little lower than angels. And as that's applied to this one, it takes on a whole new significance. So what does it mean? Just consider it briefly here. Made lower than angels, the heading here. What's it referring? It's referring to the Son's humanity. His humanity, that he becomes like us. That phrase is used of us, our creation. We were made a little lower than angels, so the Son is made a little lower than angels. That is, he's a human being. He becomes a human being. But again, when we apply it to this Son, we just said he's the eternal Son. He's the author of creation. He's existed. So what would it mean for him? Well, we say it like this. The divine, eternal Son takes to himself a human nature in becoming man. That's what that phrase means. He becomes a little lower than the angels. There's a point in time when he takes to himself a human nature in becoming a man. Christmas is not the beginning of the existence of the Son. Yes, it's the beginning of the human Jesus, the eternal Son, who has always existed, taking to himself a human nature. It's not his beginning of existence. He's adding to this divine being, this nature. We call that the incarnation. Maybe you're familiar with that term. The incarnation. This means the infleshing of Jesus. The word, we sang it, the word became flesh. The incarnation. Now, our author, as he gives us that phrase, he explains it a little bit more. If, if your Bible's open there, you can look just... Glance down at verse 14. He gives these great Christmas statements throughout this chapter. He says it like this. Since then, verse 14, the children, the children are you and I, they're Christian believers, God's family. Since children share in flesh and blood, 
That's a human nature, a weak, frail human nature. Since humans, children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. It wasn't native to him. It wasn't part of his, but he partook of it at a point in time, this flesh and blood, which speaks of the weakness and frailty, the mortality of our human nature. Again, in contrast to angels, angels, these immortal beings created that way, these majestic beings, these powerful beings, these beings with outward splendor, he took on flesh and blood. He didn't take on the nature of an angel. Jesus was not an angel. He's God, the eternal son, and he doesn't become an angel. He takes on human nature like us. So that's what we're celebrating at Christmas. That, that's what it means. He made a little lower than the angels. And that, we should marvel, is a profound miracle and an amazing humility. Let's not get over it. I know we sing the songs and we should and they're great. Don't let this truth become ho-hum to you. It's a profound miracle. Wayne Grudem, professor, theologian in his systematic theology book, says this about the Incarnation. The Incarnation is by far the most amazing miracle of the entire Bible. Far more amazing than the resurrection, far more amazing even than the creation of the universe. The fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal Son of God could become man and join himself to a human nature forever, so that infinite God became one person with finite man, will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all the universe, end quote. What amazing humility for the eternal Son who exists in the very essence of God, the creator of all things, to take on flesh, to be made lower than the angels. What a con- we read that uh, from Luke chapter 2. Thank you to the men reading the text for us, the, that familiar birth narrative. But there you see the contrast, don't you? The, those majestic angelic beings singing and the shepherds terrified in contrast to a helpless, weak baby in a manger. You see it? He's made lower than angels. Now the question is why? Why is this the means? This, this is beyond our imagination. No, no human being invented this truth. It's beyond. Religions ape this truth in different ways with demigods and gods cohabitating with human beings. But, th- but this truth is beyond imagination, profound. Why? Why this way? This strange, unexpected, seems so extreme Why this way? I'll give you two reasons, two words. And they're here in our text. And we've been through, if you've been part of us, we've been through all this in detail. This is just the the Christmas recap, if you will. Just a devotional. One, first word, deliverance. Deliverance. To deliver us. And that deliverance is multifaceted. Why? Here's the most basic reason. Through his death, He delivers us from sin, death, and judgment. That's why. 
He took on human flesh. He was born to die. That was why he came. Again, just in our verse there, he gets to it. Verse 9, we see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels. And then at the end, he tells you why. That by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He might experience the horror of death, the agony of death is God's judgment for you. That's why he came in human flesh. To die. To die in our place. He says it again in verse 14. Since children share in flesh and blood, he partook of the same that through death he might deliver us. It's, th- this is the great plot twist of the Bible, isn't it? This is the great plot twist of all history. We're singing of this long-expected Jesus, one who's coming, this great king. How is he going to deliver? Through this weakness of human flesh, through death, which looks like a defeat, is the way he delivers. So he delivers us. He delivers us from sin. He takes care of our sin. He delivers us from guilt. He delivers us ultimately from the judgment of God that we deserve. Again, he says it again in verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like us, his brethren, in all things. That's his humanness. That he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. To make propitiation or atonement for the sins of the people. He had to. It was a necessity. That's why this is God's plan. Now, how is that possible, that he takes our place, that he delivers us? Well, here's the second word. So two reasons why he's made like us. Number two, solidarity. Solidarity. Now, kids, that might not be a word we use a lot. Solidarity. What's solidarity mean? Solidarity just means to share. (laughs) To share. Sharing is tested at Christmas time, isn't it? Sharing things. To share a shared experience, shared interest, a oneness. That's solidarity. He's, there's a oneness with us. He comes like us. Have you, have you seen these uh, commercials? I think they started maybe last Super Bowl, you know, all the commercials. They're very different. They come on and they have some scene, maybe some family strife and dispute, and then comes on this tagline, he gets us. Jesus. Have you seen those? He gets us ad. He gets us campaign. <laughs> now, I have some problems with those commercials, but, but in other ways, I'm, I'm thankful that a positive image of Jesus is being presented there, and that part of the truth is really true. He gets us. Oh, does he ever? <laughs> he became one of us. He's one with us. So that's what this solidarity means. Yes, he gets us. Now, he doesn't just get us. He gets us in order to save us, right? But he does get us. So just note this. He fully shares our humanity and is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Our writer goes on to explain again why, why he took on our humanness. And he says in verse 10, it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, to bring this author of salvation through suffering. For, verse 11, he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are sanctified are all from one One humanity, one source, one Father. 
He fully shares our humanity to identify with us. Again, this is so vividly displayed at Christmas. Jesus didn't appear as a 30-year-old adult on the scene, like presto, right? How did he come? That's what we're celebrating, just like you came. In a womb, growing, in a birth. And we read that text. Isn't that text amazing this morning? We read it, Mike read it for us, that he, he continued to grow in wisdom and stature. He grew. He was fully human. He lived in the weakness and limitations of that humanity. You came just like we did. He came to identify with us. And the Bible says here, he says, he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Isn't that amazing? He is, he's not reluctant. The eternal son is not reluctant to take on our humanity and identify with us. Not, listen, not for a brief while and get it over with, forever. Forever. Do you contemplate that? How remarkable that is. He is God the Son and now the Son of Man forever. He's not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed to call you brother and sister. He so identifies with us. In the last note, he does that. And so he is our sympathetic Savior who is able to come to our aid in temptation. This is how the author finishes that chapter. He says, because he's like this, verse 18, since he suffered when he was tempted, he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted or tested. He so identifies with us and has experienced what we experienced that he has this special mercy where he's disposed to aid us in our suffering. So, on this Christmas morning, what do you need this Christmas? What's, what's testing your faith the most right now? Maybe wondering, are these things even true? What's tempting you to sin or to give up right now? He is able Come to your aid and deliver you. Call on him. Call on him. Let, just let the, the truth of Christmas, this amazing reality that we're celebrating, be a strong encouragement to call on him, that he does get you, and he gets you in order to save you, to rescue you. And right now, this morning, this Christmas Eve, he can come to your aid and deliver and to rescue let not the promised son remain a stranger, we say. In reverent worship, make him your adored. Do you see him? That's how the author starts, verse 9. We see him who was made a little lower. Do you see him? For yourself, do you see him for who he is? Do you know him as your Savior? Is that the joy you have this Christmas and if you are hurting, suffering, struggling, call on him. He knows exactly, exactly what you're going through. 
Call on him and he will rescue. Let me pray for us and we're going to close our service by singing Silent Night together. Let's pray. Father, (laughs) we simply say thank you for this indescribable gift. We can't begin to fathom what it is for you, God the Son, to take on human flesh, to so identify with us, to so rescue us forever. Oh, we call on you now. Keep us, rescue us. And any here this morning that don't know you as Savior, God, lead them to call on you as Savior and Lord this morning. We bless you in Jesus' name.